0: that was my fault. Awesome. Now we're on. How are we? We feeling cozy? Awesome. You know, and we had a theory. If the school's not going to turn the air off, we could at least get close enough for our body heat to kind of to to mingle onto the next person, and maybe we'll keep each other warm that way. Uh, Welcome to Vertical Life Church. I am Pastor Joey. For those of you that are new, we just want to say welcome to you. We are in week four of our series, Foundations, and I'm loving this series, just kind of diving into the Word of God and what kind of our foundational beliefs are and how God wants to build our spiritual lives upon them. Just like any foundation, if you have a week or a faulty foundation. You start putting weight and pressure on that before long, the entire structure is going to come tumbling down. And it's my belief that maybe some of the reasons why we see issues in the church today or why there are many systemic problems in the church today is because of a faulty foundation. And it's my belief that God wants to reveal these foundational doctrines that He wants to use to build our spiritual lives upon, to build a strong faith foundation. It's my belief that the Spirit of God wants, as Jesus said in in John 16, 13, He wants to lead us into all truth. That means we're on a journey. He's taking us somewhere. And to go from where we are to where He's leading us, it it takes a journey. It takes a path. It takes a, a following of God. And without a strong foundation, we may not be able to take the next step, or when we get there, we might not be able to handle what's on the other side. So he wants to take us deeper into not just a, to have a general knowledge of God, but an intimate knowledge of God. It's the difference between knowing who someone is and having a personal relationship with that person. He wants to lead us into a deeper knowing of God to build intimacy, that we would understand the deeper mysteries and the deeper things of God. There are things that God wants to reveal to you but if you're not ready for that revelation, that revelation may not come. It requires us to grow, to gain understanding, to follow the Spirit. Because God desires an intimate relationship with His people. You think about it, Jesus died on the cross not just to expunge sin. He died on the cross to draw you into His heart, to draw you into the Father's heart. God, your Creator, loved you so much that he bankrupted heaven, sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for every wrong you've ever made and will ever make, to expunge your debt of sin so that there is nothing standing between you and your heavenly father. If that God would go to that length to do that, imagine how much he wants a personal relationship with you. He gave his life to pursue you. Jesus said that the spirit would lead us into all truth and, it, and it's my belief that that god he wants a personal relationship with us, not just for us to know about him like studying George Washington in the history books wants to He wants us to know him like we would know intimately our own spouse, a uh, significant other, a personal relationship and when Jesus said this in john sixteen thirteen that the Spirit would lead us into all truth. He was telling that to his disciples that had lived with him every day for three years. Think about this. Jesus taught these guys every day for three years, and he said this to him just before his crucifixion. So, if spending every day with Christ for three years and you still don't know everything you need to know, then there might be room for us to grow, right? If you think about this in a practical sense, Paul the Apostle, if you think about the amazing things Paul did and how he wrote a third of the New Testament, and before becoming a believer, he spent a lifetime studying the Old Testament scriptures. He says that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was to be respected among all Pharisees because of his training and how he obeyed the law to perfection. But after he came to Christ, he went into Arabia, some say for something around three years, where he received direct revelation from Jesus himself. Jesus taught him for another three years, and he still didn't know everything he needed to know. He said in, in Corinthians that we see through a glass darkly, that we don't see clearly everything. What can be known is not fully known. We've yet to receive all the revelation. So if Paul himself still had more to learn, then there is much more for us to learn. This is why in our text in Hebrews chapter 6, just before that in Hebrews 5, the writer of Hebrews tells this church, this group of believers, you've been with Christ for a long time, but you've not grown. Your intimacy hasn't increased. You're still walking around like you just met Jesus. That there's more that God wants for you. There's more that He desires to do in you, but it takes growth. And so we need to get past just the basic level so that we can go into the deeper things. And what we can see here is that the Bible and really the writer of Hebrews and the Spirit of God through this writer, what he's saying is that it's not about just an intellectual gospel, It's not just about learning facts. I know sometimes when we come to church or we come to, we read the Bible or we study the Bible, we approach it like we're going to school and we're just trying to learn information. Like we open the Bible and we say, okay, what did Jesus do here? Or what does this mean? And rather than allowing the Spirit of God to draw us into the Father's heart, we just store away more and more facts. And many of us have gotten to this place. And I know in my own life I was guilty of this. I thought I was a great Christian because of how much I knew about doctrine and theology. I could argue anything with anybody, and I thought that made me something special. It wasn't until I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit I realized I was way off. It was way off. There was so much that God wanted for me beyond just learning. The gospel is not just an intellectual exercise or an intellectual gospel. There's something intimate that he wants to do. He wants to open a door for intimate relationship with you to allow the power of God to work in you and then work through you, and not only in your life, but in the hearts of those that you will encounter. So throughout the gospel, we can see how God moved on the hearts of the apostles and other leaders, continued to give them revelation. This is how we receive the New Testament. It wasn't just that Jesus appeared. He continued to work in their lives, and they recorded for us what he did. This is how we have the New Bible or the New Testament in the Bible. And so you got to think of it this way. Every time you open the Bible, every time you kneel down to pray, you open an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you. Every time. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that. You know, you got your Bible app on the phone and you get 50 reminders that you didn't do your, your, your Bible plan for the day. And you're just like, well, let me just get this done. And you read through it and you get it done. You get the check mark, and you feel good about yourself. But God wants more than just you to get spiritual check marks on an app on your phone. He wants to reveal himself to you in a very powerful way. Every time we pray... Every time we read and seek understanding from the Spirit, we open an opportunity for Him to give us revelation about who He is, what He's like. Don't you want to know what God is like? I mean, when when you have a relationship with somebody, you want to know what that person is like. You want to know what they like to do, what they think is fun, what they think is funny. God is funny. I don't know if you know this, but God has a great sense of humor. I mean, just read some of the Old Testament laws that he instilled in the Old Testament. Some of that stuff's really funny if you, if you think about it. But you get to know him, his sense, now, his sense of humor, his personality. And there's always something more God wants to bring you into. I heard somebody say one time that God just wants a person he can tell his secrets to. I mean, you think about that. As a, as a believer in Christ, to have such an intimacy with God that God would whisper his secrets to you just to share, just to draw you into who he is. And I think this is what we're trying to bring out in this message and in this series about foundations. Over this series, we've looked at baptism, salvation. And now today we're going to look at another topic in our passage. And I believe that this area, probably out of those that we're going to talk about, is an area that the enemy has been able to gain a lot of ground in the church. A lot of ground. And as a result... The church, not just our church, but the church in general, has not been operating in the full strength that it could because some of the basic practices, spiritual disciplines that we have in the Christian life, some of these disciplines are are being hindered, and we're not really seeing God work as powerfully as we probably could, and it it is hindering the practical practical working out of our faith. So we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Verses will be on the screen, or you can use the UVersion Bible app. The notes should be there for you in the live events page. But we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Holy Spirit, God, thank you for being with us. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you were not content of leaving us broken the way we were. But you sent Jesus to provide a way for us to be saved, a way for us to be changed, And God, when we trusted in Jesus, for those that have made that decision, we stopped being labeled by our brokenness, and we started being identified as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. We were pressed down, but through Christ, we've been lifted up. We've been seated in the heavenly realms with you. We have this opportunity to know our divine creator and to know who we are and what you've said about us, God, to revolutionize and change our lives. And I pray, Father, through the reading of your word and the study, God, that you would increase faith, increase hope, Lord. You give us a hunger and a fire to go deeper, to know you more, God, Not, not just so that we can see cool things, but, Lord, that we could give you glory with all of our lives. You gave your life for us, God. It's only fitting that we give our lives for you. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds and make that fire burn deep in our spirit that we would not be satisfied with just enough, that we would desire more, more, and more because there is always more that we can discover in you. We thank you, Lord, for this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hebrews chapter six, verse two. The writer of Hebrews, he's laying out what these basic foundational doctrines are, and here's what he says. You don't need further instruction about baptisms Or the laying on of what? What's that say? The laying on of hands. Now, what's interesting here is that the writer of Hebrews doesn't say you need instructions on prayer, which I think would be more fitting if we were thinking about the Christian life, that he would have said prayer here. But rather than saying prayer, he says the laying on of hands. And the reason why I don't think he specifically says prayer is because the laying on of hands and prayer were almost synonymous. If you look at the the, different accounts, and we're going to look at some of that today, but when the Christians in the early church prayed, they laid hands on each other. They laid hands on one another. It was universally understood that when you pray for someone, this included the laying on of hands. And now, not every account that we read about prayer includes laying on of hands, nor is it required, but it's a general practice. And so I say almost every time because not every reference on prayer or laying on of hands uh, includes, uh, includes that practice. But there are several circumstances in which we're going to see today where laying on the hands is used in Scripture. Now, one of the challenges we face in our modern time is trying to translate ancient practices into a modern context. So if we, we think about this like this, there are some practices they did in 0 AD or 1 AD or, or whatever you want to go back to 2,000 years ago that we don't necessarily practice today. There, there are a couple of traditions that didn't make it across the pond when Christianity went through Europe and on into America. For instance, in the Bible, it says that women, when they come to the worship gathering, should wear a head covering. And I, if you look around, I don't see any women wearing hoods, right? right? That's, that, that's not something we do today. As well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, in 1 Peter 5, 14, the Bible commands us to greet one another with a holy kiss or a kiss of charity. That word charity means love. So the Bible's telling us to greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, that is open to a lot of interpretation. And I think when I stand before God, or if God were to appear today, I'd probably have to tell him, I'm going to pass on that one. I Greet each other with a holy kiss. The reason is, is because I don't know where some of y'all have been. So I, I don't think I'm going to step into. But the other thing is, I know where some of you have been. So I'm really not going to step across that line. You know, but, you know, I, I saw a, um, anybody have like, Anything against church marquees like me, like, I just can't, you know, the the signs out front of churches where the weird, they put all the funky sayings, like, you know, got sin burned, try sunscreen, you know, the real cheesy, I mean, it just gets on my nerves. I'm like, if Christians didn't have it bad enough, we have to give people reason to think we're morons, you know, but uh, there was one church sign I saw from this Pentecostal church one time that said, here at our church, we share tongues, all are welcome. I'm going to say no to that one. You know we're we're not going to go there, right? So greeting each other with the holy kiss. We obviously didn't cross the pond either, but the reality is the head coverings, it was a sign of authority. And in that culture, a lady was under the authority of her father until she was married, and then when she became married, she was under the authority of her husband. So in our day, we do this a little differently. We don't necessarily require authority in our families. But when you become married, there's something that you put on your finger that shows you're under authority. But in our culture, not just the women, but the men wear it. Why? Because the Bible also says the man's body is not his own, but it belongs to the wife. And the wife's body is not her own. It belongs to the husband. We're both under the authority of the marriage covenant and under Christ. So we do things differently. When we greet one another, we have several different kinds of greetings. You know, we got, we got fist bumps. We got high fives. We have, you know, the side hug. If you're real spiritual, it's the side hug. If you don't care about boundaries, it's the front hug, you know. And we have different ways we greet people. So these are, these are things that we do in practice today. But in all seriousness, for, for the Word of God, there are simply some things that might seem cultural but really aren't. And so when we gather together in Christians, we, we gather in these small groups or even in church today if we were to pray and we'd say, okay, pray with somebody, we find it awkward enough just to pray out loud. When when This should just be a normal thing, to be able to pray and pray verbally to encourage people. But in this day and age, in the ancient times of Israel, and, and in the writer of Hebrews is telling us, not only should we be able to pray out loud and pray for one another, but we should also be able to lay hands on one another. And if that's not something you're used to, when, when someone says, you know, I want to pray for you, and they go to lay hands on you, you know, so, you know, you're like, what are you touching me for? You know, we just kind of get creeped out a little bit. And, and, and so we're not really used to that. But this should be a common practice. It shouldn't be something that's weird. That's why he's saying here it is a foundational belief. It's a foundational practice. And the reason why I think the laying on of hands is important, and we're going to see here in Scripture, is not just because it's connected with prayer. But it's also connected with how God releases blessing in conjunction with our prayers. So God, as again, He wants relationship with us. God enjoys getting us involved in His processes. He enjoys getting us involved in what He's doing. So we're going to look at three ways that God uses us to release blessing through the special practice of laying on of hands. The first way... Is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the impartation of gifts. The church uses the laying on of hands for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the impartation of gifts. So when again, when we're saved, when we believe in Christ, we repent of our sins and turn to Christ. The Bible says we're baptized into Jesus through the vehicle of His blood. This is something that the Holy Spirit does. When we trust in Christ, the Spirit applies the blood of Christ to us and expunges our sin. When we take the next step and we prepare ourselves for the Spirit-filled life, we we are cleansed and we unite ourselves in both the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are baptized with water. So the vehicle of baptism for the new life is done with the, the element of water. But when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit... We can see through the scripture that the Spirit uses the laying on of hands through another uh, anointed believer or a leader in the church to administer the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts chapter eight verses fifteen through seventeen. We can get the scriptures on the screen. Acts chapter eight. To give you a little backstory, Philip he leaves Jerusalem, and in that in this passage he. he goes to Samaria, begins to preach and teach, and revival breaks out. Samaria, they were kind of a Jewish mixed race. They, they had some Old Testament practices mixed with some of their uh, new cultural practices. And he goes to Samaria, begins to preach the gospel. He does many signs and wonders. heals people, and many come to Christ. And beginning in verse 15, it says this. It says, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they believed in Christ, they were baptized in water, but they had yet to receive the anointing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So verse 17 says, then Peter and John, what did they do? Laid their hands on these believers, and the believers did what? Received the Holy Spirit. So they'd already been baptized in water. They'd already confessed Christ. But then the apostles laid their hands on them, and they received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this is important because Jesus said in Acts 1.8, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive the power to be his witness. You'll receive the ability to use the gifts of the Spirit to testify and to confirm the message of the gospel. This was a very, very important and still is important today. In Acts nineteen verse six. This is an account where Paul the Apostle encounters some disciples of John. They'd already been baptized, and they had already repented of their sins. And after John's death, they became followers of Jesus. He encounters them. They have a conversation. They're like, we don't even know about the Holy Spirit. We've never heard of this Holy Spirit. And so Paul rebaptizes them in water. And in verse 6 of Acts chapter 19, it says, Then when Paul did what? Laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit released the anointing to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Again, not every time the baptism of the Spirit is given does it require the laying on of hands, but often God uses other believers to administer this anointing. So it was called, uh, enabled to call down the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not only is the baptism of the Spirit administered through the laying on of hands, but also the impartation of spiritual gifts. And we read about the different gifts of the Spirit. There's healing, there's prophecy, there's service, there's many different gifts that the Spirit gives. And the laying on of hands is one way in which you can seek and receive those gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 14-15. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church did what laid their hands on you it says give complete attention to these matters throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress what's important here is the gifts of the spirit are not meant to be kept silent this isn't a private thing just between you and god The gifts of the Spirit are given to build up, encourage, strengthen, and edify the church and to confirm the message of the gospel. Paul's telling Timothy here, you received a gift, you need to be using that gift. You need to grow that gift. Why? So that people can see God at work in you, and as they see God at work in you, they'll be drawn to the God in you. They'll be drawn to Jesus and others in the church as they see what God's doing in you they'll be encouraged to pursue more of God in their own lives. So he received a gift and he's being encouraged to grow that gift. In 2 Timothy 1:6 in another passage Paul is reaffirming this message to Timothy. He says this is why I remind you fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I what laid my hands on you. You're seeing a theme. You're seeing a trend through the laying on of hands the holy spirit imparted spiritual gifts. so when paul and the elder elders laid their hands on timothy prayed for him to be filled with the spirit a prophet prophesied over him they called forth a gift from god by the revelation of god to be anointed on to timothy. it's important to recognize timothy didn't receive the gift from the elders and he didn't receive the gift from paul. he received the gift through the holy spirit. But the Holy Spirit used the elders, used Paul as the vehicle to administer the gifts upon Timothy. And the question is, is, could God have given these gifts without the laying on of hands? Absolutely. I've received gifts of the Spirit without the laying on of hands. Somebody laid their hands on me to be baptized in the Spirit, but through my own earnest desire of God to be able to seek the gifts, God, through, through prayer and else, was, has bestowed those gifts. I remember... My wife and I are praying, we're praying for healing. And God told my wife in prayer that I should open my hands as I'm praying. And so I opened my hands without her saying a word, and God anointed uh, a, a gift of healing. And the very next day was a Sunday, and we had the opportunity to minister healing during a church service. It was amazing. And so this can happen with or without the laying on of hands. But at the same time, in Scripture, this is the primary way God uses Uh, to impart gifts to other people. And again, God delights in partnering with His church. Did you know that when you set up Sunday morning, when you work at the cafe, when you greet at the door, when you lead in the kids' ministry, you're partnering with the Holy Spirit to do that work? God is using you to do that work. And so it's a partnership. The gifts of the Spirit are the same way. And the administering of the gifts and the impartation of the gifts come through that same partnership. These are the gifts of the Spirit God gives to every member of the church. Now, there's a difference between a gift of the Spirit and a gift of Christ. There, there's two things that we see in Scripture. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, this is what Paul says to the church of Ephesus. He says, now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It's important that we know the difference between a gift of the Spirit and a gift of Jesus. A gift of the Spirit is the ability that the Holy Spirit gives you to minister. The gift of Christ is the person walking in a special calling to serve the church. So the gift of the Spirit is the ability, the gift of Christ is the person. It is the leader, the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And here Paul is telling us that these offices, these positions of leadership in the church will be necessary until we all come up to the to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Well, when is that? That's when Jesus comes back. Right? We're not gonna be there, holy as he is holy glorious as he is glorious, until he returns and takes this sinful nature away once and for all. But it's important we understand that the gift of Christ is not the gifting, it's the person with the special calling who operates in a special office to lead God's church. Because in order to receive an impartation of a certain gift, you need to approach someone who's operating in that gift for the impartation. And this is one of the reasons why we have the fivefold ministry. The apostles, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, and pastors, their job is to equip the church to do the ministry. So, how do they equip the church? Well, they demonstrate the gifts, they teach on the gifts, and then they impart the gifts. That's how they work. The uh, apostleship, they, there's many gifts that go into being an apostle, many gifts that go into an evangelist. Sometimes there's multiple gifts going on at once, but they demonstrate the working power of God. They teach on it and then they equip you by imparting those gifts so you can then go and do that work. I was reading a book by Chris Voliton on the gift of the modern prophet in the office of the modern prophet, and he gave a really good illustration about the importance of these offices in the church and liken them to a soda fountain. So you go to McDonald's, and it's kind of funny. When I take our kids to McDonald's, you know, they have the soda fountain with all the flavors. Well, if you think about the gifts of the Spirit, it's kind of like a soda fountain, because the soda fountain, they all get their fizz from one source, the carbonated water, right? Going to every flavor is the carbonated water, but if you want Coke, you got to go to the Coke fountain. If you want Dr. Pepper, you have to go to the Dr. Pepper fountain. You tracking with me? You understand? If you're my kids, you just put a little in from every fountain in your cup. You know, we call that a suicide. But, but you, just, you just fill it up with every flavor and hope you don't puke at the end, I guess. I, I guess that's how that goes. But, but if you want a certain flavor, you have to go to a certain spout to get that flavor. The same is true with seeking earnestly, desiring earnestly the spiritual gifts. Because all the gifts come from one source, the Holy Spirit. But if you want the gift of healing, you need to go to a healing fountain. If you want the prophetic gifts, you need to go to a prophetic fountain. If you want an evangelistic gift, you need to go to a fountain that is flowing with the gift of evangelism. And this is what the fivefold ministry is for is so that the church can seek the gifts of God, receive training on the gifts of God, and then be imparted with those gifts of God. To give you a personal example in my own life, and I didn't even recognize that this is what was happening at the time, but uh, we've been doing our prayer nights for several months now. And over the course of several months, we've been praying for God to impart upon our church the gift of evangelism. And this has just been on my heart. God, we need this gift of evangelism. Our church needs to have this gift so that we can reach people for, with the gospel for the glory of Christ. And, and so we, every week we would meet, we would pray for this gift over and over and over again. And have you ever met people who seems like it, that they could just lead someone to Jesus like, over nothing? Have you met people, like know people like that? Like, for me, like, when I, when I start a conversation, often I start with, well, the Bible's true because X, Y, and Z, and, and evolution doesn't make any sense because of this, and, and historical arguments, and, and you just, like, go all the way around to try to get the person to say, huh, you're right, give me Jesus, you know, but that doesn't work that way, and I've met people who, like, they could be talking about their dog that just died yesterday, and then the next second, the person's on their knees crying out to God, receiving Jesus as their Savior. I'm like, how is that possible? How, how is that? Well, because there's a gift of evangelism. God God works powerfully through people in unique ways. And so I'm thinking if our church got filled with that gift of evangelism, this auditorium is going to get filled with people who are crying out to God. So it's a good thing. And so we, we've been praying and praying and praying for that. And uh, in March, we went to the Man Up Conference. Several of us uh, guys went to the Man Up Conference, and the last little bit of Mike Benson's message. Mike Benson has been a, a guest speaker here before. He's with the, uh, the Strongman team, that, the Conquerors that came and did an a, a event for us. But he was preaching, and at the end of his message, he was about to close. He just felt this impression of God. And he said, you know, I've only done this one other time before, but I really feel the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart to pray a prayer of impartation of the gift of evangelism. So if you are desiring this gift, I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive this gift. And I think I was the first person down in the front row. I was like, I don't care that I'm a pastor. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is what we've been praying for. I knew this was for me. And so I went down, and a few others went down, and and people from the crowd went down. And he prayed, and we got our hands laid on us to receive this gift of evangelism. And then he said something much like Paul said to Timothy. He said, now you've received the gift. Now you've got to fan it into flame." He said, you know, when you go to the gas station and you hear God tell you to pray for this person, you better pray for that person. Don't, don't squander your gift. And, and so I left there, and I was waiting for that gas station moment. It didn't come. But, uh, but I just knew that God had did something. But from that moment, I was keyed into what God was doing. And God began to speak, and I began to hear words of knowledge for people and and prophesy. They weren't always right, but when they were, it was just an amazing moment. And I'd pray, I'd get a word to pray for healing. And when I would pray for people, not everyone was healed, but the people that were, I mean, it was amazing. And my wife and I have seen just amazing things happen. And it's been from that moment where I was, had hands laid on me, I received an impartation of something I was seeking, and God has been growing this gift and working more and more and this is why I share testimonies, because I want to proclaim that this is a legitimate thing. God wants to do this in all of us, but we have to seek after it. And And so it's just been amazing to see some of the things that, that has been happening. And uh, one of the the things that uh, that happens when you receive that impartation is you get a little fire that you need to fan into flame. So it's not just to receive a gift and then you're the most spiritual person in the world, but it sets you on a pathway to be used of God and find your potential in Christ Jesus. So the the laying on of hands is for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the impartation of spiritual gifts. And if we want to receive a certain gift or gifts, we need to seek out those that have been called of God to impart these gifts, equip us for ministry. Number two is that, The laying on of hands is the primary vehicle God uses for healing the sick. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. This is God's parting words to his disciples. He says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to what? Place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Right? So Jesus is saying, go into the world, preach the gospel. And here's how you're going to know if someone is a true believer. You're going to see supernatural things follow them. And here's some of the things that you're going to be able to see. And he connects healing of the sick with the laying on of hands. And if we look at the ministry of Jesus, he didn't always lay hands on those. Sometimes he just spoke the word and they were healed. But many times Jesus healed, he did so by the laying on of hands. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 says, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Also, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. We can see here in this passage, Matthew 8, 3, not just the touch, but also the prayer or the command for healing coupled together activated the faith needed in the moment for the Spirit to administer the healing. We see this all the time. Acts chapter 9, verse 12, here's a disciple of Christ. Jesus appears to this disciple tells him he's going to go pray for Paul, whose name was Saul at the time, who was killing Christians, He was taking people out left and right. But Paul had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He was blind, and Jesus was sending this disciple to go uh, heal him. In Acts 9.12, it says, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and what? Laying hands on him so he can see again. Acts 9.17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, we're seeing the laying on of hands is a, what God uses as the vehicle to release blessing. It wasn't just the apostles that healed. You know, we'll hear that sometimes. Well, I people will say, I believe that all the miracles died out with the apostles. Well, that'd be pretty stinky for Ananias, who wasn't an apostle. Here, God's using him to lay hands on the sick, and what? When the last apostle dies, that takes his gift? It doesn't make any sense. God wants to use every believer. Jesus said, these are the signs that follow those who believe. Everyone has the ability to receive these gifts from the Spirit. We just need to seek after them in faith. Acts 28, verse 8 says, As it happened, Publius's father was ill with a fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, laying his... Hands on him, now you're getting it. All right, coffee's kicking in. Laid his hands on him and healed him. Though it says Paul healed him, we have to remember it's the Holy Spirit's power that's released through Paul. It originates with God, it flows from God to point to God for the glory of God. If what we do in the supernatural points to anywhere else other than to Jesus Christ, we're missing something, right? It's the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus for the praise of Jesus, I wanna emphasize that. We're simply the instrument, and the method of healing comes through the laying on of hands and a prayer for healing. The miraculous is unleashed through us by the Holy Spirit. But there's something about physical touch that that ministers to people. There's something about physical touch that is ordained by God as an instrument of the working of miracles. See, I believe when you lay hands on somebody, when you touch somebody, it's an act of love. As long as you're not going like this. You know, sometimes we want to lay hands on people when it's, you know, our children are acting up. You know, we can, get our testi- we can get the parents to testify here in a minute. But when you lay your hands on somebody, it's an act of love. When God does the miraculous through you, whether it's healing or any other spiritual gift, the person you're ministering to ought to feel kissed by God. They ought to feel loved by God, drawn into the Father's heart. Someone once said that the gifts of the Spirit are God's love language. This is how he communicates his love and reveals his love in a tangible way to to people. And so when he does a miracle, when you lay your hands on them, they ought to feel loved. My wife and I often will pray for people. It, It happens when we go to dinner. We'll pray for our waitresses or our waiters. And it's not uncommon that we lay hands on them. They'll start crying. Sometimes we've even had the ugly cry right at the end of our table. Just because in that moment, they're just feeling overwhelmed by the love of God. It's nothing special we're doing. It's just God using us to release that blessing. There's power in physical touch. And so, uh, again, we see this as the primary vehicle that the Spirit uses to release blessing of healing and other gifts. And finally, number three, the, the last thing we wanna look at is the laying on of hands is used to confer authority. There's an authority structure Jesus has built into the church, and this is a way that we recognize and confer authority to individuals. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles, the 12 apostles, couldn't keep up with all the needs of the church. There were 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. I mean, think about uh, those of us that we serve every Sunday. We're we're giving of ourselves. Imagine if next week we instantly had an influx of 3,000 people. How overwhelmed would you feel with all the the tasks and the to-do and all the gaps we'd be keenly aware of in an instant? It'd be crazy, right? This is what happened. There was 100 of them. They prayed. Pentecost happened. The Spirit came down, and 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. What an amazing, amazing moment. But they couldn't keep up with all the need. So they had the, the church elect seven men filled with the Holy Spirit. God was moving in their lives to be elected as official servants or deacons in the church. And when these seven men were identified, they were brought to the apostles in Acts chapter 6, verse 6, It says, these seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they did what? Laid their hands on them. So the laying on of hands symbolizes the recognition and confirmation or conferring of authority. You are now appointed by God. We recognize this appointment for this special duty. These deacons would now represent the apostles to the people, and they'd have a small measure of authority to handle the needs of the church. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 22, Paul is instructing Timothy about how to be a good pastor, a good leader. And in verse 22 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, he says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. In the original language, this says, don't be quick to lay hands on someone. Don't be quick to lay your hands, appoint leadership, confer authority. There are a lot of times in the ministry, and those of you that are serving and you're leading a team here at our church, you'll know that when someone drops out or there's a gap, it's like, who can we get to fill that spot as quickly as possible, right? Like, even at the pastoral level, we feel that. But here, the Word of God says, don't be quick to confer authority. Why? Because if you put the wrong person in the right, in the wrong seat, it's going to derail the ship. If you put the wrong person in the wrong seat... And so he's saying, wait, try them. Let, them. let there be fruit be seen in their lives before you lay hands on them and promote them to a position of authority. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 3, Paul and Barnabas, were, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. He said, I'm going to send you out as missionaries. You're going to build churches and plant churches. And so the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they went to the elders of the church and said, this is what God's calling us to do. They didn't just appoint them and send them out. They began to fast and pray to receive confirmation from the Lord that this is what God was leading in their lives. In Acts 13, verse 3, it says, so after more fasting and prayer, the men, the elders of the church, what they do? Laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. The very next chapter, it says the Holy Spirit sent them. So the laying on of hands is really a it's a partnership between God and the leaders of the church to confer authority, to recognize authority, to promote people in the church so that they can then fulfill the call of God on their lives. So it's not something we want to do flippantly or hastily. We want to do with much prayer and consideration. But this is another measure that God bestows a blessing onto church leadership. So it's so important for a leader to know not only does he have the trust of the church and the the uh, application or anointing of that authority, but it's also important for the church to see we are investing our trust into this leader. So we're, we're going to recognize God's call. We're trusting in that leader. We're going to follow that leadership because we recognize by following them, we're really following what God is doing in their lives and how God is leading them. So there are really three ways that the laying on of hands is an integral part of the church it remains an important foundation of the church. So the baptism of the Spirit and the impartation of gifts, it's through releasing of miracle power in the cases of healing, and as well, it's an impartation of recognition of authority or conferring authority onto leadership. And so let me challenge you here today as uh, we get the worship team to come up. Let me challenge you that if you are not praying for people, Start praying for people. That's important. But if you're praying for people and you're not laying hands on them when you pray, take a step of faith and see what God can do. And not just what can He do, but what He wants to do through you. It's a powerful thing. Even if the lightning doesn't fall from heaven and a limb doesn't grow back, the moment, the encounter will still minister in a powerful way to the person that you're praying for. So let me encourage you, take that step of faith. Begin practicing the laying on of hands that this foundational element of our faith doesn't get lost and the enemy continue to rob us of things that God wants to uh, do in us and see the difference that it makes. Maybe you're here today and you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you grew up in a, in a background like me that thought you know, anything connected with that was weird and crazy. Let me tell you, a gift from God is gonna make you feel kissed by God. It's gonna make you feel loved by God. There's never a time where I experience anything from the Lord that feels weird or crazy, but it empowers me, it strengthens me, it boldens my faith, it makes me wanna do more for Jesus. And let me encourage you, if you've not received the baptism of the Spirit, if you've not given God your heart and given your life to Christ, that this is a moment where you can take a step of faith and come forward, and through the laying on of hands, we'll pray that you'd receive an impartation of the baptism. Maybe they're the gifts of the Spirit or something you've been interested in but not experienced in your life, and you want the faith to start pursuing those gifts so that God can use you in a greater way. In just a moment, when we stand, you come forward, and we'll pray. We'll pray over you that you would receive an impartation of faith to begin pursuing the gifts and start experiencing God in a tangible way. Man, I tell you, when... When I stopped having an intellectual faith and started having a tangible faith where I experienced God in, an everyday, in my everyday life, it was a game changer for me. And I know God has more for you in store. And I just wanna pray for us in this moment. I just wanna pray that God's will will be done and that that fire of evangelism, that fire of the spirit that, wants to be, that God wants to cultivate in us will begin to grow even now. Holy Spirit, we just come... In the name of Jesus, Lord, we recognize you're here. I already feel your presence. God, I feel you. And Lord, you bring these topics up not to bore us, not to, not to pull us away, but to provide us an opportunity to take a step of, of faith. In Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And so God, I'm asking you to give us the faith. Give us a greater measure of faith. Give us a greater measure of your grace, God, in the area of faith. Give us a greater measure of fire in our our bellies, the hunger to know you, to follow you, God, to make a powerful difference in our sphere of influence for the kingdom of God. And God, I just pray for the hearts here, the people that want to go deeper, that they want more. Holy Spirit, that you would just pour your anointing out. And as people come forward, Lord, they would come forward and that you would pour your anointing out, that you would impart to them the very things that they're seeking, and that Jesus would be glorified in this place, that we'd be empowered to shake this community for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for the person here that has never had a moment in their life where they have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've never given you their heart. God, I pray that you would draw them And then when we stand, God, that they would come forward and meet me down here. And they would make the decision that would change their life forever. God, because without the cross, there is no new life in Christ. Without meeting Jesus in that moment of faith, there is no empowerment of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit and the amazing things that come with salvation. Without giving your life to Jesus and recognizing what new life is, God, all this other stuff is just religious and pointless. So I just pray, God, that you would convict, that you would move in your name.